Hello, and welcome to the Youngin Kotisal podcast, where we are teachers helping teachers. My guest today is Stuart Gray. Stuart Gray teaches English at Hanguk University of Foreign Studies and is an experienced teacher trainer and speaking test examiner. He is also currently undertaking a PhD through the University of Leeds. He has served for several years as Youngin Kotisal Chapter President and also Kotisal Reflective Practice Special Interest Group Co-Facilitator. That's a mouthful. Stewart has conducted several research projects focused on the Korean EFL classroom and on teacher identities, and is particularly interested in language and identity, creativity in EFL classes, critical pedagogies, and reflective practice. Welcome, Stuart, to the Youngin Gyeonggi Kotisal podcast. Thank you for having me. That was one of my longer bios you've, you've chosen. Was it? <laughs> I think so, yeah. How current is it? I'm just wondering, because I said currently undertaking a PhD, is that still true? It is. Um, my life doesn't really change over time, so the bios tend to remain true. Um, I'm hoping to finish it this year, but yeah, it is still true. You must be feeling pretty good about coming to the end of that. Ask me again when I'm done. <laughs> Usually people are a little bit taller and their shoulders are higher after they finish their, their PhD. Here's hoping. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where are you from originally? England. I'm from Newcastle in England. I drink a beer called Newcastle. Many have. It's and that so when the did... football team, really. Uh, That's right. Uh, so when did you come to Korea? 2011, when I was 23 years old. Oh, just a wee babe. I was, yes, very young indeed. <laughs> and, and so what made you come to Korea? What brought you here? Oh, well, I, I was a student of Japanese and I really wanted to go to Japan and just situate myself in Japan to learn Japanese. But, and I think this is true for a lot of people, it was just easier to come to Korea. And um, in my case, I was thinking, well, Korea is kind of next to Japan, so that's not bad. It's a good start. Uh, but when I actually came here, like a lot of people, I, I found that I liked it, and here I am. And it's been, yeah, 10 years. Well, did you ever imagine when you first came here that you would still be in Korea t t 10 years? I think I was I think I was nursing um the idea that I would go to Japan until about 3 years ago actually like just somewhere wow. in the back of my mind I always thought I would still do that So for 7 years you kept thinking yeah this year I'm going to be going to Japan Oh well I, <laughs> I wouldn't want to represent myself as as quite that um I don't know No no of course I I'm here because I like it and I've connected with it the the country that is I've learned the language, um, met a lot of friends through Kotisol. Um, but, you know, dreams die hard, I suppose. And I was, mm. there was a part of me that didn't want to let go of that. But yeah, at this point, strangely enough, yeah, I think I've let go of that completely. You've put down some, some roots here. Yeah, I suppose um, so. Well, that's good. And what got you started with Young in Kotisol? Oh, well... About five years ago, I attended an event. I just finished a master's 
And um, a friend of mine uh, said, why don't we attend this event? Apparently there's an event. Um, and I said no, because I hate events and unfamiliarity in general. Um, but she persuaded me to go. And it was the um, 2015 Reflective Practice Day event. And um, yeah, and I immediately fell in love with the whole institution, the, the people, the, you know, the events, the just the, the sense of being involved and of ongoing development. And so, yeah, I've been hanging around ever since and they haven't got rid of me yet. Well, that's a strong statement, a strong positive statement for Cotisol. Oh, yeah. I, I, I would recommend absolutely everyone to get involved. At the very least, they might discover that, you know, maybe formal events and such are not for them, but I've got a lot out of it. That, that's. I was going to ask you later, but maybe I'll ask you now. If you were deciding today, like if you first came to Korea, you've got a one-year contract, you, you know, you're just trying to survive here in Korea and, you know, find your way. Why would you try to connect with Cotisol? Well, I mean, foremost, I would say because of the sense of community you can get out of it. Um, it's very easy, especially in your first year. Of course, it's very easy to feel alone and, you know, in many ways to be alone. I mean, it's it's hard to reach those first year teachers, though, right? Like, as an organization, you want to reach out and say, hey, newcomer, uh, welcome, there's all this stuff going on, but how do you even reach them? They don't know how to reach you. But if if only more people could be reached in their first year, I'm certain that they would get a sense of community out of it. And, you know, that's a very, as we all know, that's a very sensitive year for a developing teacher you know maybe you're like me you're 23 you did a celta or whatever and other than that you have no sense of yourself as a teacher and so i have developed a lot in my sense of myself through cotisol if i could have done it in my first year i would have absolutely so it's it's a bit of a conundrum then where it seems like it would be the best thing for somebody who's just come here feeling a little isolated and looking for a little community, perhaps just a helping hand, uh, a little language even. But I see that you were Cotisol, young and Cotisol president for a few years. Is I'm sure that's sort of a question you must have wrestled with. I did. And um, my, my efforts, I don't know how successful they were at all, but I did try. I, I when I myself was a was an elementary school teacher a few years ago. I used to get my materials from org or .net, I can't remember. And so when I was hosting conferences for Yongin, I went on there and I posted like, hey, there's a conference, you know, y'all can drop by. I have no idea in retrospect if anyone picked up on that, but I guess that was my sense of where they were, where they could be reached. It'd be interesting to see what you know how many people actually came as a result of that. It was a while ago now. I like to think yeah. that someone did, but I can't say. Even one. <laughs> Even one, indeed. Sure. Are you going to be uh, presenting at this year's international conference, which is being held online February 19th to 28th? That's a very precise question. Uh, <laughs> I can give a precise answer. Um, they haven't All announced right. who's 
who's being allowed to present yet. But I have submitted two abstracts, and if either is accepted, I invite all your listeners to look me up in the program and then definitely come and see it. I'm curious. I noticed that you had a uh, at the the Guangzhou Junam chapter. Uh, you had a uh, this is a, supposed to be a conference March 14th, and I I think it didn't go off, did it? It did not. Uh, one of the first casualties. Did. No, it never happened. Although, wow. they, um, you, uh, Brian Hale, uh, who was president at the time, I, I'm not certain if he is now, but he is president of Cotis Hall overall. I know that. Yeah. He has informed me that it, the, the Guangzhou chapter may be um, replicating their conference, the one they hoped to put on, um, as part of the international conference. Now, I can't say if that's going ahead, but... If so, uh-huh. then, you know, I'll be there. That could be well, fun. Well, that would add more depth, even more depth to the uh, conference. Yeah. And I mean, Michael Free is chairing it. And I'm, I've always known him to be very creative and very involved in what he does. And I get the impression that he is trying to reach out to all the various parts of Cotisol, the chapters, and the special interest groups, and to give them all a shot at doing something a bit unique in this conference. So it does promise to be an interesting one. It's very involved. You might be very busy. If you're, as time goes by, uh, plenary that you had planned for that conference, it still continues plus whatever you've, abstracts you've handed in for this conference. (laughs) Yeah. In my job, um, every presentation is worth points that count towards something or other. So um, it's all good as far as I'm concerned. What can I say? In capitalist terms, yeah, just present as much as possible. That's true. I guess it's all in online, so it's not like you're running from one room to a room in another building or something that any like that anymore. Yeah, and I mean, for all for all this, our online teaching and our online conferences are the consequence of the horrific circumstance. I have to be honest. There's a lot that I appreciate about the online kind of environment that we're all working in. And the convenience is one part of it, yeah. I mean, I've um, the Ongin chapter this year. We've put on all kinds of workshops and conferences, and we uh, in November we had a conference, and we had presenters from like four countries: Canada and Turkey. We had presenters. Obviously, that was entirely because it was done online. But I mean, that I consider that quite an achievement. Credit to the chapter and to James Rush, the president. Yes, definitely. Yeah, that was a good conference. Thank you. So uh, what are you looking forward to this 2021? I know it's been a bit of a a roller coaster ride up to now and maybe hard to see what 2021 looks like, but any thoughts? This year, what am I looking forward to? Hmm. I'm looking forward to, and, you know, fingers crossed, to an end to this pandemic and quite frankly to a return to offline conferences which for all their inconvenience and all their flaws i have always enjoyed and that is something that i have felt i've been missing um Hmm. i've been doing online presentations and i've been trying my hand at that but there is something about you know what can i say there's something about an audience that i've always liked i just like when people listen to me that's basically why I'm here. Um, but this, this too is online and I can't see how people are responding. So I want to get back out there and see some, you know, smiles and whatnot on some faces. 
I, I enjoy your enthusiasm. That's great. <laughs> Why, thank you. Well, thank you. What's a, what's a story you that you like to, or you love to tell from your classroom that, you know, that most EFL teachers could, could relate to? Uh, there aren't really that many interesting stories. There comes a point, I mean, I've been teaching university for four years now. No, no, uh, six in two different schools. There comes a point where it's all too familiar. Um, I guess one thing that I would say, one thing that really sticks out is I once had a class of culinary majors. This was about four years ago. And they had not the slightest interest in English. And I was uh, a little fresher than I am now. And we had an awful textbook. All textbooks are awful. Um, this one was as well. And... Well, they they weren't into it, and I tried all this and that. I tried to be a bit creative with the materials and the class design. None of it landed, and then and I got really frustrated. It got to, and it was a three hour class at nine a.m. on a Monday, oh, and I was I was dying on Sunday night. It got to the point about three weeks in where it came to Sunday, and I was dreading going in. And then finally, at oh. one point, like I came in on on one Monday. And again, they would just, they wouldn't respond. Like when I said, please move, sit with a partner. They didn't do it. It took three or four minutes to get the class to move. And then finally I said, okay, right, here's, here's what we're going to do. Um, you can choose like this next part. Um, there's this passage in the book. You can choose to read it quietly or you can grab a partner and like pick a character and read it together. It's just your choice. Do it. And, uh, the, the the atmosphere suddenly changed. It was amazing. Like oh. some of them went off and read it quietly. Others grabbed a part and read it. And it was just this moment where like, wow, I realized that I'd spent weeks kind of ordering them to do things in a certain way. And then it was just a matter of, look, um, I'm going to give you two choices. And then suddenly they chose. So that really resonated with me. Um, has has that carried into over into any of your your presentations that that experience? Have I presented about it? I, it definitely has had some relevance when I present about creativity. I do a lot of presentations about creativity in the English class, and one of the most fundamental points is, of course, you have to let them choose. There's got to be an element of choice. They have to choose what they make. Um, you, you offer guidance, examples, scaffolding, whatnot. You maybe give them peer support, but at the end of the day, um, an essential part of having them come up with anything, a poster, a game, a, a poem, there has to be some kind of choice. So you have to design your teaching around the facilitation of choice. And that, in a sense, is the same exact thing that I had with my culinary students, is to facilitate the choice to learn and to express yourself in a way that best suits you, which can be a bit of a challenge, especially when you've got um, a chapter in the book to cover and whatnot. But I have come to look for those spaces in my class plan where a bit of choice um, is possible, where there's some space for letting them choose how they do things, um, even if there is quite limited scope for letting them choose what they study. You can, there's, there might still be some room to maneuver with how, and I haven't really had a class like that since, but 
I always remember just how stressed they made me. And the moment that kind of turned it around was just offering a little bit of freedom to them uh, to cover precisely the same materials, but in, in a way that they chose, even from among limited options. But it, it worked wonders. They taught you well. I suppose they did. Someone <laughs> should. <laughs> well, that's good. That's a, that's a, a good tidbit for uh, our listeners, I think. You have spoken on a number of topics. Would which presentation do you think would uh, stand out in terms of value that it brought to the participants or the listeners at the at a Koti Self conference? The value of a presentation that I gave is there a conference that where you kind of went, yeah, that really went well, like a class. You know, sometimes a class just goes really well. Uh, the horrifying truth is that I've given. 50 presentations, and I'm not sure that any of them had any substantial impact on any audience member. Um, and that's not to say that they definitely did not, but I get very little feedback. And if being a teacher has taught me anything, it's that just because students enjoy a class in itself is no sign that they've learned anything or that they're going to retain it. Sure. We can hope, and we all know that it's good to make them happy, and we imagine that if they're happy, that they're going to remember. But who knows? Like, what is retained, what is not? I get so little feedback. All I can say is that occasionally, occasionally someone shoots me an email or pulls me up at some point in some place and says, hey, um, I remember you did this. And that is, that's all, first, that's all I've got. And second, I'm second, I'm very happy. At least it was memorable enough. And was it just a passing memory or did it have any influence? I don't know. But you know what? Maybe I don't care. Maybe I'm putting myself out there. And maybe there's something that someone's going to take. And I am happy. I get a lot out of presenting. So there's that. And I hope that it, it brings something to someone else. Frankly, anyone listening to this, who has benefited from anything that I've ever said, just send me a message and say, that happened because you'll change my life immediately. <laughs> okay, um, let's put that out there. Please send a, a message to Stuart Gray and tell him how much you enjoyed his 50 presentations with yeah, sure. an boy. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe regular teachers like me you know, working with students, maybe giving presentations, maybe we're not supposed to change the world, eh? We're not all going to be like Chomsky, right? We can do what we can and we can try to shape our local environment in a way that is beneficial to others and to us. And, you know, that's all right. Yeah, well, I guess it has to be. I, still, you know, there was, I remember teaching kids and long ago when they, I guess their parents would give them on Teacher's Day, the parents would give them socks or a tie or something. You'd get this little <laughs> thing that was a, an, a sign of appreciation. It didn't mean the students learned anything. It just meant that uh, I guess the parents weren't angry with you about something. So Yeah, you're right. Not angry. It's a great result. <laughs> yeah. It's one of my favorite results. I've had it... <laughs> angry and I don't like it. Agreed. <laughs> Well, so uh, other than the the 
you're working on your PhD and uh, any presentations that you may or may not be uh, making at the international conference at the, or at the Guangzhou conference. What other uh, projects are you hoping to start or finish this year related to language teaching? I don't really have any projects lined up. I feel very okay, out of okay, it. Um, okay, that's not related to language teaching then. There isn't a lot in my life that is entirely disconnected from language teaching. Like I'm playing the guitar these days and somewhere, oh, somewhere in my cold, dark heart, I'm thinking one day I'll play this for my students or something. Like nothing is completely not related to English teaching. But I guess I don't have any projects. I just, as I said, I can't wait for conferences to, to start up again in person. I feel that might give me some more momentum. I, I'm just, I was just thinking of the uh, your theme uh, for your, or the title, As Time Goes By, and I was just thinking of you opening, playing the guitar, singing. <laughs> I you could, must remember this. <laughs> it's not too late. I can have a word with the conference organizers. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think we could sell that. <laughs> I mean, I won't, and we shouldn't, but yeah. You got, yeah, I think you have to have, you have to be yourself. Well, that depends if, if that depends who you are, I guess. Sorry, I'm not sure why I said that. <laughs> well, let's see. Uh, where do you see uh, language teaching, EFL, teaching in five years, ten years from now? Which kind of ties in with the International Conference and our featured speaker, Gert Leonhardt who is a futurist. Mm. I am not a futurist. I I will always remember, I had a professor on my master's and he wrote a blog post and I read it. Therefore, of course, you know, blog posts are very important. Mm. Um, very important piece of writing by a professor of mine. And he was talking about automatic um, writing assessment, like uh, automated artificial intelligence tools for doing writing yes. assessment. And he made a point which really struck me and has stuck with me forever, which is there. there's more than one way to look at what that means. On the one hand, um, technology is rapidly developing in, in new and shocking directions, which are sure to transform the industry that we're all working in. But the other side of it is, do we want to treat writing as something that any computer program could grade like is there not a sense in which that is a of course you know any argument against the use of technology is an argument with time right mm. in a hundred years time maybe no one will be a teacher or a nurse right maybe no one will be anything but while we're here and now even in the face of all these technologies looking for the next 10 years I think that we as teachers need to remember what we bring that technology currently can't. Now, I'm not going to say never will, but there is something in the teacher's role, in our role connecting with students and socially teaching and learning with them and giving them the kind of feedback that a computer can't give yet, right? the kind of human feedback and the kind of human connections that we can give. And I think it's very important for us all to think about what we're doing or what we can be doing for students that is not currently possible via technical means. So I can't say that any of us will have a job in 10 years. I know that they're introducing, or I've heard that they're introducing um, an AI-based 
speaking practice um, system for public school students in Korea starting this year. Though they are also bringing in, I hear, like a thousand new epic teachers. So I guess we're not done yet. Um, but a even thousand the, new what? Epic teachers, you know, like um, public ah, yes. school teachers. Yep. And right. don't quote me on that. You can look it up. But I, the point is that this new system's coming in and they have not stopped hiring us yet. But just what, whatever the field looks like in 10 years, for us to all just remember that we currently play a potentially very valuable role. And to the best of our ability not to let our job the, the job that we human teachers actually currently do, not to let that be reduced to the kind of job a computer can do, just to be going on with. And I think that until they invent a fully human AI, until then, at least we've got a shot at make, making a real contribution, regardless of what's available in technology. And, and I'm talking long. This My final thought, I think we've... I can't speak for anyone else. I feel like this whole experience of online teaching has given me a hard look at what cannot currently be achieved by online means. Or alternatively, what a classroom really does bring in terms of, you know, the, the, what the teacher can achieve with a room full of actual people there, present, interacting with each other. And yes, the virus has, has has robbed us of that. But at the same time, if I don't know if anyone else like really achieved something truly miraculous, I tried to do with Zoom uh, what I was able to do in the classroom. Uh, the medium has fundamental limits. I tried my best, and I, I, you know, I was reflective about it. I adapted my approach, and at the end of the day, after a year, it was nowhere near what I feel like I was managing in my classroom. And so I'm speaking only for myself. I think that with that in mind, we're still going to have a role in coming years. And if anything, if I take anything away from the pandemic, it is a, a renewed confidence that the teacher's role and the, the classroom environment has benefits um, which are difficult to replicate. So to return to your question, lots of new toys Definitely lots of new toys in the next 10 years, but we're Indeed. still teachers and we still will be, I believe, but I'm not a futurist. The end. Oh, that was beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that was. No, I'm, I'm not being facetious. I, 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 oh, I appreciate it. Actually that. very positive. Most people are facetious when they, when they hear me talk and I understand that. <laughs> As you were talking there and you were kind of coming to the, to the end, I thought, well, that's just a beautiful note to, to end on actually. And we could end right there. I wanted to ask you, though, uh, I feel like I, I met you, I don't know, two years ago. Actually, I came to a conference at Gangnam University there, and you met me almost in the parking lot. You were out coming down the stairs. And I was meeting so many people on that day. Mm. And uh, But you were one of the first ones. And I remember feeling so bad the next time I went to a conference, I remembered your face and I couldn't remember your name at the time uh, of anybody, frankly. I, I just, there was that sort of uh, deer in the headlights thing when I first uh, <laughs> went there. But I kind of missed you. In, oh, that's yeah, it's true. I've seen you on conference. You know, I can see you on the screen sitting there as one of the people. But of course, it's not the same as saying, hey, hi, how are you doing? And 
chatting in the elevator or something like that. I think we've all missed that. Yeah. Just the, the contact and the energy and the human connection that comes with offline events. But I mean, credit to Cotisol and to the people in Cotisol for what they have achieved, frankly, is, is impressive. The events that have been put on and the effort that has been made to keep the organization going and to continue to provide something of value and credit to the organization this past year. Seriously. Yes, I completely agree. But I'm for looking that, forward to you know, here's hoping that we can meet offline this year at least at some point. Yeah, I I, I feel like by the fall we we might be yeah. in our classrooms and have and be going to conferences, I hope. Yeah, as the leaves begin to change and whatnot. Yeah. It's it's a <laughs> It's a Seems nice poetic. thing to imagine. It is, yes, yeah. That would be just about right. With The leaves yeah. would be a metaphor for the passage of the virus or something. And that would be exactly right. It would almost be a shame if it was over sooner. <laughs> you do enjoy themes. Do you use uh, sort of overarching themes when you're planning for your classes? I'm I just kind of referring back to... Oh, yeah, massively. Every single them. time. Yeah, every mm. single time a theme. What's the um, theme this uh, this spring term? I haven't actually, you, you caught me on the spot now because I haven't even planned it out. Um, I'm, so, I'm asking uh, because I'm kind of delighted with my own. Which oh, is, go uh, on then. What's yours? Finding normal. And I'm using Ooh. the the Nemo theme uh, font and the fish and, uh, just in my introduction. But it's kind of a nice finding normal has so many applications in getting back to normal, making learning English normal. Uh, making getting people, students comfortable with speaking English and making it kind of a normal part of their lives. That is delightful. Why, thank you. Uh, I have really enjoyed uh, this conversation. You're a really good speaker. Um, thank you. I just hope people listen. <laughs> that would be nice. Well, very kind part, of of, you anyway. part of what I want to do is to make this something that people want to listen to they look forward to and i haven't figured it out yet i'm just getting off the ground but uh we shall see how it goes thank you very much Stuart. thanks and i really appreciate it not at all uh, hopefully we'll see you live somewhere soon it seems a... realistic yeah oh good <laughs> here's hoping here's hoping all right this podcast presentation has been brought to you by the Youngin Gyeonggi chapter of Kotisal, a nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting scholarship, dissemination of information, and facilitating cross-cultural understanding of teaching and learning English in Korea. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.